Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, everyone. I'm, well, it's obvious. I'm John Verhoeven, and I was a cop back in the 80s in Sydney. And I'm Paul Verhoeven, John's son. I'm an author, and I wrote two books about Dad's time as a cop. The first five seasons of Loose Units spanned my time in general duties, forensics, my time as a firefighter, and even my stint running a funeral home. This season, we're visiting the locations of Australia's most notorious, baffling, horrific crimes, and looking at what happened there. From Snowtown to the family, from the Morehouse murders to haunted highways, this season of Loose Units is your go-to guide to the worst crimes in Australian true crime history. Welcome to Loose Units, The Shadow Files. Hello and welcome to Loose Units, The Shadow Files. On the night of the 31st of May back in 2019, a young man called Theo Hayes went missing in Byron Bay, and he was 18 at the time. He was doing kind of your typical backpacker's trek around Australia. By all accounts, he was having a really good time, and he was just about to finish his trip up when he went missing. Now, this case has been in and out of the news. What's interesting to me, Dad, is that first of all, have we ever, ever strayed anywhere geographically near... Byron Bay. I, it, it's not the kind of place I think of when I think about true crime. How about you? Uh, short answer. Uh, yeah. No, because as you like to remind me, and as does Anne, we never took your kids on holidays, <laughs> which is so sad, but we used to take you out to nice restaurants, um, but never been to Byron Bay. In fact, I've never been to Byron Bay, um, but it's a very affluent area. Um, Paul Hogan, the famous Hollywood movie star, he yep. had he had property up there, and I believe someone that is quite famous, an actor, a current actor who plays Thor. I think Chris Hemsworth. The Hems, yes, the Hemsworths are largely based in Byron Bay. Byron Bay is an interesting place, Dad. It has become home, and this is not related to the Hemsworths, by the way. This is uh, literally, it's it's a um. It's in a part of New South Wales that uh, harbours a bit of, uh, you know, kind of anti-vax sentiment. It's, um, it's, there's a big, it's quite near uh, Nimbin, which is a, <laughs> well known for its edibles. It's a really interesting, very hippie-ish New Age area. This is not a slight. Uh, you haven't been to Byron Bay. I have. I actually clocked in, I think, 2000 and... Maybe the year 2000, actually. Yes. Hmm. Oh, God. New Year's Eve, the year 2000. I had finished high school and it was time for schoolies. And I was working at Video Easy and Manly. And a bunch of uh, people who were working there, including Lisa, who was a friend of mine, basically said, look, um, 
you missed out on uh, schoolies with your people, but you want to come up with us, we're going to Byron Bay. So we all went to a campsite there, uh, went to a music festival, and then rang in the new year on the beach at Byron Bay. So not only do I know the area, I know the Backpackers pub where he was last seen by a crowd. Incredible. I, I'm pretty sure I know the actual clifftop. Look, I know all the locations. So okay. as I was reading through the Coronial Inquest, I mm. was... I mean, Dad, I know this place. I know mm. these areas. But, Paul, sadly, the year that you mm. were there is the year that um, Theo was born. Oh, God. I mean, so you were it, actually there yeah. whilst he was being... Well, not whilst he was being born. I mean, that we can't be too specific about the dates, but suffice to say that uh, 19 years later... So it's incredible. I did not know, Paul. I, I, I had no idea when I gave this brief to you that you'd been there and that, that's good it helps it's really great to have someone that's walked those you know those steps yeah the the pub that he went to i'm not sure if it was called that back then but yeah i i checked the address so cheeky monkeys is the name of the backpackers pub uh which we will be talking about in a fair bit of detail throughout the story but basically as we go through this i will let you know any insights i have about the location because byron bay is not it's not huge. Like, don't get me wrong. It's gotten bigger. I've not been in, yeah, 19 years. Uh, no, 23 years. I feel very old right now. But I was immediately out of high school. Byron Bay was incredibly humid, absolutely full, chock full of people. But the predominant demographic there was backpackers. So when you told, sent me this story and you said this, uh, this kid, Theo, went missing back in 2019... In Byron, I went, well, yeah, it's a pretty backpackery place. I'm still on mailing lists for places I stayed, which probably says more about my email account and my lack of spam filters uh, than it should. Anyway, so Theo. Theo Hayes, he is a backpacker. Um, he's from Belgium, it's worth noting. Uh, in fact, quite a bit of the correspondence that the um, police had to go through online uh, was in French because they speak French in Belgium, which was uh, in, in so that at- part of Belgium, you mean? In that, sorry, yes, in that part of Belgium, yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, so let's walk through who Theo was, first of all. I know that we talk frequently, one of the things we fall back on, listeners, is talking about, you know, basically character witness stuff. So-and-so was well, well-spoken and well-liked and a really friendly person. But what's interesting about this coronial inquest, which, by the way, very well written, uh, is that it talks a fair bit about who Theo was as a person. And I'm going to read from point 20 here. The evidence presents a picture of Theo as a young man who was universally loved and had a bright future ahead of him. Now, do you... F- Look, Dad, how do you feel about character references? I like think that? it's very important. It's very important because... Why, why is that? Okay, because there's another case that I was going to put to you a few days mm-hmm. ago. Another... Uh, because I've got access to all the New South Wales coronial findings that yep. go back a long, long time. And Christine and I were, were perusing some of the content. And believe you me, I had some, some red-hot content, but pretty well everything that I suggested, Christine vetoed. Uh, because she said they were, for lots of reasons, they just didn't, didn't make it to today. And... One of the striking things uh, I was reading about a particular young guy, he was, uh, he was shot by police in northern New South Wales. Listeners, just for your information, there is so much stuff happening in New South Wales on a daily basis that 
we never hear about. It is staggering. It blew my mind. And these are cases that are put before coroners. And this was a particular case, Paul, where this young guy was uh, shot by police and the he was the, the coroner coroner doesn't like to portray people in in a bad light because this particular case of the young guy she went into great detail about his very very troubled childhood and the fact mm-hmm. that he will be missed by various family members and it's really important as this particular coroner said in another case that life is very precious and it's it's a wonderful gift and for anyone to lose their life under any circumstances is tragic for someone, let alone the person that actually dies. So it's very good to note and important that when they set out the beginning of the proceedings, they do like to talk about the history of the person that the case is about. And I think it's, it's good. And remember that in Theo's case, a lot of family came out from Belgium. He had relatives was, here. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, the... Um the appraisal of his person, who he was as a person, how much he is missed directly links because part of this case, like you said, is about the family and about the fact that they came out uh, afterwards and got quite quite involved mm. in the search. Oh. So when you talk about how missed he was and how loved he was, I think what, what's happening here is a proportionate setup for, and this is why people responded so aggressively. Um also, the family pointed out very valid things about Theo. They said uh, he was very healthy, he was very fit, he was very active, uh, he was very outdoorsy. Uh, he but he was, drink he was too cautious. much, although yeah, yes, he was cautious. Yeah. He these, was... these are all so they, they sound, Dad, to me like character assessments. But then when we talk about what actually happened or what we know about what happened to him, some of these things that they're saying about him seem to not contradict, but suggest that other things are you know, are within the realm of possibility, correct? Mm, mm. Well, it's a mystery, Paul, and it's unsolved. We are talking about it today. There has been, I mean, okay, the brief that was handed to the coroner was Mm -hmm. 12 volumes, okay? And here we are on on this beautiful day. We're alive, you know, we... Everything's great. We're talking about a particularly sad set of circumstances that have come together to create a mystery. It's a mystery that may remain a mystery for eternity. But it's normal for the family. Let's just sort of switch some roles here and imagine if something terrible happened to um, someone in our family. Uh, Reverse the situation. One of our beautiful three kids is overseas for example mark in thailand something terrible happens to him over there Kristen and i were on the next plane as soon as we find out about it we are going to have interpreters we are going to put our case but we're not actually putting our case to the people of thailand we're putting mark's case as this family did they put the case of the life of their son to to the court and they're going to, you know, they're going to see all the lovely, wonderful, you know, traits of their beloved son. And they're going to, they're going to be very emotional when they get the opportunity to talk in court. And it's not as though 
they're going to paint their sun in a bad light. And from all the information that we can glean, there was very little sort of untoward about Theo. He, he had a longing, a zest for life. And, and importantly, because there are three possible scenarios that the coroner can, can sort of consider. First, okay. first we, can, we can talk about it now because we'll, and then we'll sort of talk about that evening. But there are three things the coroner can... They can either... They can have an open finding where the coroner says, we just... We have no idea. We don't know what happened. But in that grouping, you've got something terrible happened in terms of a crime, for example, a murder, an accident, and third one, which has pretty well been dismissed, and let's just dispense with this at the outset, uh, is the possibility of um, Theo taking his own life. Yes, that's been pretty much roundly discounted, not Agreed. just by family, who, who, would, who would disagree with that, I think, inherently, but also the coroner disagreed with that. The coroner. And also the fact is that he... he so he checks into this particular uh, this guest house. Mm-hmm. He prepaid... For three nights, he caught a Greyhound coach from Brisbane down to Byron. He also had pre... So he prepaid for his the entire stay, but he also had a ticket booked out of town where he was going to go to Melbourne to meet his cousin. And he was then very, very shortly thereafter heading back to Belgium to continue his, his studies. He wanted to become an engineer and he was in contact with friends in Belgium. His cousin. Yeah, talking about you know his plans, and he was he was jocular, he was jovial, he was jaunty. I've just used three J's to oh, describe. Yeah, yeah. but um, so he's booked into, and he's staying in this sort of this uh, backpacker accommodation. He's staying in a, a room which had uh, the capability of was housing it, eight people. I, that's right. And so uh, a lot of the people who were there, first of all, just, just quickly, he had done a massive... I just want to run through what he'd actually done in the he, trip. Right? He's done more just, things than I've... He has seen more things in this country than I have. Mm, it's staggering. Start, started with his godfather over in Victoria um, for a month, headed to Sydney for New Year's Eve with his cousin Lisa, who's going to come up later on, uh, who was in contact with him. Um, then Lisa and Theo headed my way towards Melbourne uh, where they got a job at the Oz Open, which is the massive annual tennis tournament here. And in fact, having been there, I see the volunteers. I know the people who work there. I know what they look like. I maybe even was within spitting distance of these people. Then they go to Shepparton, which I know quite well. Uh, It is in farmland area outside in Victoria. Then they split up and they didn't meet up again until it says here 25th of May 2019 in Brisbane. And in that intervening period, uh, he went to Fraser Island, Townsville, Noosa, Tassie, Cairns, Whitsunday, uh, Alice Springs, Uluru, Kakadu, Litchfield National Park. Apparently, Thea had an incredible time doing that. Then he meets up with Lisa on the 25th of May, 2019. Stays with Lisa and her half-brother, right? The next morning, uh, Lisa drops Theo off and he uh, is going to head off uh, to Byron Bay at that point, right? So they yep. talk about their plans and then she has actually said, look, he was talking about wanting to get back to Belgium. As you said, Dad, uh, that ties into the fact that he was talking quite openly about getting excited about heading back. So mm. he arrives from, came from the Gold Coast, arrives in Byron on a bus, which 
actually is the exact same way I got there. We came in a grand as well. So 29th of May, 2019, which is so recent as well. So he gets there two o'clock in the afternoon and he arrives at one of the key locations, which is the hostel you mentioned, the one with the room that had a capacity for eight people. It was called the Wake Up Hostel. He was booked in there until Monday, the 3rd of June. He paid up front. Maybe that's worth noting. Anyway, he's on a top bunk. He doesn't know anybody. Everybody there says he seems nice, bit quiet. Spends most of his time on his phone. Um, and his phone is one of the main parts of this story. Mm. Uh, it's his source of entertainment, but he's also messaging people on Facebook and WhatsApp a lot. In fact, I think that's how he stayed in touch with his folks. Is that right? Mm. And he also watched a particular Belgian comedy show, something about a burger. Um, yeah. And he was sort of pretty obsessed with that. And it's just... It's, kind of important also to just remember that small fact because that is one of the last pieces of video that he watched on that fateful night so his friends you know the people that he's sort of associated with he uh they said he was quiet but but very friendly he only went sightseeing once and they know that because he took a photograph and sent it to his cousin of a sort of a, a beach scene and then on the friday night um where he was staying, they put on a regular barbecue at the Wake Up Hostel. the 31st of May, right? Yep. 31st of May, and that's a 6 p.m. barbecue where I think the impression I got, Dad, was because, again, I've stayed at a Backpackers once or twice, and good Lord, it was harrowing. But long story short, all the people at the barbecue are sitting there chatting, and I think all of these people ended up testifying about... Um, Sobriety. About yep. yep. Well, because, okay, here's the thing. Um, there was another Belgian at the hostel called Antoine Van Latham and naturally being another Belgium uh, Antoine and Theo kind of start chatting and they head uh, they take the shuttle and again I've caught a shuttle from a hostel back into town so they do exactly what I do they head get, hop on the bus head back to town and they um, grab uh, a goon bag full of rosé by the way if you're not from Australia a goon bag is cask wine it's like one of those silver plasticky bags with the it's it's terrible stuff it is cheap so they go to the Great Northern Hotel and they grab the wine and in the coronial inquest, there is CCTV footage hmm. of Antoine and Theo, um, you know, walking up an aisle holding the cask wine. So they verified that that happened. And one other thing that didn't exist when I was there, Dad, were Ubers. So there's records of um, an Uber which took them back to the hostel just after eight. So mm-hmm. yeah. they head off at six, get back at eight. Paul, also, it's it's worth noting, and it, this is important, is that it's what Theo was wearing when he went to the Great Northern Hotel. So he was wearing a grey cap, which is really important. He was wearing a black hoodie, tan pants, and black shoes. That's important because later on, when he gets back to the uh, to the, the Backpackers Hostel, uh-huh. he socialises with a few of his friends and... They then decide, Theo and Antoine, to head into town. And they go to the bar called Cheeky Monkeys. Who are they with? It's not just the two of them, is it? There were a couple of girls, a a pair of English girls, some Germans, you know, a a group, probably about eight, eight, ten people. And that's important because they got to interview them later on. And again, people talk about the sobriety. And this is the part of the story, one part of the story that I've had real trouble with and I find it quite depressing. Is that I, because people kept talking about... People thought, kept talking about how... 
I know what you're talking. I know what you're going to say. I know which part of the story potentially upsets you, and mm. I'm I'm so curious as to your thoughts. But what I'm 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 interested in your perspective, not just as a parent, but I guess we'll get to that in a sec. Anyway, like it's just um, it's, I'm going to use an analogy when we get to that point, okay? About another terrible okay. thing that happened where in life, uh, and I just look, you know, the coroner's been very very cautious and very careful and very deliberate in not apportioning any blame to any members of the, the Cheeky Monkeys, in particular um, the staff that are in charge of maintaining, you know, order. Yep. But it's you've got this, for me, contradictory evidence, and it's very contradictory. Well, let's it, get it back to the... Hang on, let's, let's go back chronologically. So hmm. there, there's CCTV footage of them trying to get into the bar... And what I read said that Theo uh, stumbled at yeah, some okay. point. Which is really interesting, Paul. Please bring me back to that towards the end of this podcast because I have a I have a theory that is untested, but yeah. it's it's interesting in relation to the stumble, which we can expand okay. on. Uh, and then, but when you said you used the term. What, how did you describe them like, trying to get in? I, that, I don't think that's the right term to use. I think they were... There was no drama about them getting in, was there? No, they got in fine. Yes. Um, they were there for a while. Footage showed that I believe Theo had two drinks, which maybe makes the um, the next part of the story mm. extra confusing. So uh, at one yeah. point, one of the bouncers approaches Theo. Yeah. And when, when, he, he, when he came out of the toilet, yep. he'd been in the toilet for approximately five minutes. Yep. Comes out of the toilet... And a member of staff, as I said, a member of this would have been a uh, licensed security guard, has come up to Theo and made um, sort of some comment and asked him to come outside where they take a photograph of Theo and that must be standard practice even though it's I didn't know about this. I guess what they're doing is so that because if it gets crowded... They can refer to photographs taken of people that they've refused service to. So, but it's very interesting the wording, Paul, because the security guard admits that he was incredibly polite, compliant. Yeah, he and didn't seem drunk. And didn't seem drunk, but he so he made f- Paul. He makes this incredibly bizarre. This is really troubling. He makes this. This decision based on he may have become intoxicated. That's staggering. But we need to be really cautious. And Paul, look, being a bouncer is a shit job. It's okay. And I'm just trying to sort of, I don't want to spend too much time sort of polarizing this particular point, but it is pivotal to the story because what happens next is that. Theo is basically told, they've got it on film, you can see he's being incredibly polite. There's actually another person outside the bar and it can be seen on video footage that Theo actually shrugs his shoulders and sort of throws his hands up to this person that he either did or didn't know. But And, and, and it, it was clearly, as the court saw, to deduce from his actions that he was utterly confused, dismayed and astonished at the decision made to make him leave the bar. The terrible, terrible part of this particular story, again, 
is that he was not allowed to go back in and see his friends. There was no communication made with his friends, so the friends had no idea what had happened to Theo. Did they? And did Theo attempt to text them or call them at any point? I, I can't see a record of that. No, no. But Theo was almost obsessed with Google Maps. And we know that he'd not been sightseeing. It's the first time he's ever been to this town. Paul, you've been there. Apparently, yeah. there's a lot of bush. There are cliffs. There are all sorts of... The, it's a, it's a, some of the areas are very dimly lit. And Theo heads off in the opposite direction to the accommodation. I mean, and when I say the opposite, when Dad, when you say the opposite direction, I mean the opposite fucking direction. So the last CCTV, 1103, is when he's heading down Kingsley Street. Uh, apparently he nearly walked into a pole, but given how Correct. often I do that when I got my phone out, that's not surprising. That's but not, yeah. at, at this point, there's no more visuals of him, but the GPS location data, which tracks him up to about 12.05 in the morning, uh, and apparently, because the, uh, the police got quite involved with Google, and uh, Google claims that it's about it's accurate to within about three meters, so it's pretty friggin' accurate. Um, because the satellites, the argument was satellites assess your position from up to down; they're looking down on you. So uh, topography doesn't really affect things. Anyway, so he leaves Cheeky Monkeys, which is the uh, the bar that he was at, right? The one he got kicked out of. Yeah. Mm. Then. And like you said, Dad, Google Maps, he searches for the... He punches in um, the Wake Up Hostel, the one we've been talking about. Mm. But then instead of going up Johnson Street, uh, he turns down Kingsley Street and walks east. Uh, and then he goes down Tennyson. Then he walks to the cricket nets in the rec okay. grounds. We need to stop uh, with the cricket nets, Paul. Okay, go ahead. Because he spends seven minutes there, which is a long time. This is important not so much for the coroner but very important for the family this is one of the situations where the family feel because he had no idea of the topography and terrain of this particular town it's very very dark this is where the family believe that he may have had an encounter with one or two people because it was an area where people slept um you know in the rough and the family say that it becomes such a complicated route to find one's way to the beach that they hypothesize that their son was actually led to the beach if you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. 
For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Um, Now that's a theory that the coroner can find no proof to back that up. But it's it but they also seems pointed reasonable. Out, like they, they, they don't discount it. They literally go... No, they don't. Yeah. Because they don't know. Mm. The coroner does not know. It's, it's an open finding. Uh, the only thing that the coroner can deduce from this entire story is that on the balance of probabilities, on or thereabouts on the 1st of June, mm-hmm. uh, Theo did pass away. But, Paul, and this is when the story for me, again, is, is troubling, that is that Theo was not reported missing until the 6th of June. Now, six days missing is a long time. It's a long time if he's had an accident, if he needs urgent medical attention, if there's been a crime committed. If there's been a crime committed and the family would say that the cricket nets were a point of interest, the police could have come in and done, and it was admitted later on, some weeks later, and certainly in the inquiry, the senior police said, if we had have had this information a lot sooner, we would have gone down to the cricket pitch and other locations. We would have done what's called a forensic search where we are shoulder to shoulder on our hands and knees. Okay? That's the level of seriousness this would be taken. But it, that I mean, couldn't they, happen. They did, they did figure some stuff out. Like, they know for a fact that when he was standing there during those seven minutes at the cricket pitch, he was actually searching yes. uh, on Google Maps a little bit. Um I'm okay. We need to keep going chronologically, by the way, because we haven't finished mm. his night. No, right? No. Yeah. So, after he's been at the cricket nets for that period, that time period where he was on his phone, 
Mm. And it's well after midnight at this point. He's walked in the opposite direction of the hostel he's meant to be staying at. Uh, he heads down a bush track called the Milne Track, which heads through National Parkland. And then he goes off the trail through dense bush. Now, this is the weird part. So, for me, um, he keeps checking maps. Uh, there is no discernible reason why a man with that few drinks in him without reason would plow that hard into bushland uh mm. it's this is part of the reason that his family think someone was with him at that time correct now, and, no, and, guide, I, and guided him yeah, um yeah. paul you you described it as creepy okay mm. a very senior police officer from byron yeah. bay yeah. described because they've done the walk you know they had lots of people media police so many people doing the walk this senior police officer from Byron Bay said that that walk at night time is quite frankly scary and he wouldn't do it by himself. What? I Now, I believe I can buy that. I mean, look, character references aside, once you, once you read about this walk, once you look at the map, I mean, there is no discernible reason why he'd do this. Uh, his family are dead against the idea that he would just do it on a whim. So uh, at 11.48 p.m. or thereabouts, he leaves the bush and he gets onto a beach called Tallow Beach. And then he walks uh, to the northern end near these cliffs, which are colloquially referred to by locals as Cozy Corner. So just mm. before midnight, uh, he's off the beach. He's up the incline towards the road and up on the cliff. Um, it takes him about eight minutes to get up there. He's still checking his phone. He's still looking at maps uh, while he's up there, walking through that bush up the cliff. Um, and then... The phone stops transmitting uh, GPS data, that is, at 12.05 on the 1st of June, 2019. Yes? Uh, yes. And, and, they, that, and, and it basically it cuts off at Cozy Corner, at that okay. cliff, right? But they they, they hypothesise that Theo may have intentionally turned off his location services to save battery life. We've all yeah. done it. Because I've literally, because, yeah, Tegan and I have been in the middle of nowhere on a trip. We're like, we need the map. Um, we're just going to turn it off while we're doing whatever we're doing. The question is, what was he doing right hmm. but then at twelve twenty, paul mm -hmm. he sends a messenger ah you know a message through facebook messenger mm -hmm. to um, a close friend in belgium uh they've accessed the message it was in french just chatting about a u2 concert uh, coming to australia in september and you know her friend was uh, theo's friend uh, the girl was questioned at length about did the message seem Okay, and she said, yeah, fine, uh, nothing untoward. Um, and then at 12.23, Theo accesses, you, you recall I made mention to that Belgian TV comedy show? Yeah. It's called Burger Quiz. Why would someone, and, why would someone who is worried about conserving battery that far away from a hostel okay, in good the middle point. of the night yeah. then browse YouTube? Interesting, but also that also is good information about his state of mind and, again, tends to make it even more unlikely to think that he would consider taking his own life. He yep. was in high spirits. The, the texts, watching comedy, uh, I, 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 I imagine that if I was feeling... I, mean, I don't know. I, I don't know the thing about... He, look, he, he was known to watch a lot of that particular show. And you're right, Paul. It's a good point. And, and there's no mention of that in the coroner's um, brief. And I think it's a very good point. I think, Paul, you would have made a... a quite a good lawyer 
that's very no it's intuitive it's it's a good i mean why why would you watch something if you were running low it's very interesting i mean i think Uh, well maybe that's the kind of thing i could have um done as a detective god knows mm. okay so back to his uh back to the timeline right so sends a message to his friend in belgium talks about the u2 concert his friend verifies that he uses, and I quote the word bar at the start of the message, which is apparently a like a young French thing to sort of... She says here that it, it's the kind of thing he would say. It's one of those little signifiers that goes, yes, yeah, probably... Because if someone's picked up your phone and they're trying to make it sound like you're alive when you're not, they might not clue... No. Anyway. So, then at 12.50am, uh, he pops in the directions for the hostel again. Um... They said they're not sure whether he was... You know when you get a history in maps and it shows you what you've mm. searched for before? Yeah. So they can't tell whether he typed it in fresh or whether he went to favourites. I, I, I'm i not sure how important that is. Uh, 12.55am, five minutes after that, uh, sends another message to his friend... Uh, to, sorry, to his cousin Emma, I believe, uh, on WhatsApp. Then 12.56, sends a message to another friend. Uh, also in French, uses more slang, which backs up the theory that it's still him. At 1.02am phone stops transmitting data and then it doesn't reconnect until 6 17 a.m again he Mm. receives a few messages during that period but uh they're not sure why it cut off uh it could be geography it could be like god knows why um and then at 1 17 p.m on the 1st of june cuts off completely uh and so what they've got is this really detailed map of where he was that night. But like you said, Dad, just to wind it back, he's not reported missing until the 6th of June, 2019. Five days later, right? So he's meant to arrive in Melbourne. Um, and so the missing persons report gets filed pretty quick by his folks. Uh, now, how do you feel about the way things were handled from from this point onwards? Well, I, I one of the glaring problems I have with this particular case is the number of recommendations the coroner has made. Firstly the police needed to access high-level Google information and the police had no way, they thought they had no way of contacting Google. Turns out that Google actually do have a method because what happened was, and this is a bit of a... did show up the New South Wales police force in not such a great light, is that the family managed through Belgium officials to access information and it turns out that in Belgium the police have a direct like a number to God they have a number they have a representative that can cut through all the bullshit and they got some serious information that took the, the, the New South Wales police up in Byron Bay they they didn't even know that they could actually legally access Theo's information. So what they did is that when Theo's sister came to the the police station, mm-hmm. uh, she she brought a computer and they actually got her to open up the computer. They still at that point thought that they were really on thin ice in terms of the law. Okay. And you know, one of the really good positive things that has come out of this particular case is the fact that the New South Wales Police Force and other agencies need to really, you know, get things happening in terms of... Because with the with the access to delicate and sensitive information from large um, organisations like WhatsApp, Google, all these big, you know, platforms, 
they generally only give permission if there's a crime involved and it hasn't sort of trickled down to a missing person. They're trying to change that legislation and hopefully they've, they've got a task force in New South Wales that's gone right to the commissioner. And it's so important if you're working with missing people, particularly if you believe that there's a possibility that something terrible could happen within 24 hours because the evidence can be lost so quickly. Yep. They've also discussed the backpackers, um, you know, their their input. They they didn't basically notify anyone that Theo had gone missing for six days as well. And they're trying to change the legislation. And I understand the backpackers sort of, you know, the organisation, they don't want to sort of come on to sort of big brotherish and, you know, backpackers do like to feel as though they've got anonymity, but, you know, there's, it's that fine line. But also of critical importance is in Byron Bay, what they're going to try and do is set up a register of people, residents that is, with private cameras. Because people with private cameras inadvertently, and you see it on the news all the time, Paul, particularly with gangland shootings, you know how you see the video of the car pull up and the home invasions? A lot of that video footage is taken by cameras on private property. Mm -hmm. So they're going to try and introduce a register of all the owners, private owners, that is, of cameras. Now, it's they're getting into some pretty shady areas here in terms of um, people's privacy. For example, Paul... Um, a friend of yours and mine, a dear friend, he and his wife are staying at an Airbnb um, out of Sydney and the house next door to the Airbnb they stayed in had a camera. But the camera was on the neighbour's property but it was focused in to their property. And that's, that's illegal. You can't basically spy on neighbours. So there are all sorts of you know, legal implications. And I think the police are in a, in a situation where they need to sort of weigh things up. Uh, how far does one go with, you know, with one's privacy if you can end up getting you know, tracking down, like following a particular person, in this case Theo, and getting a handle on you know, his movements? Um, these, are, these are big issues, Paul. So it takes a little while. Telstra finally dish up their locations and there's actually a map here showing sort of a wedge shape which shows where, based on the tower that was pinging the phone, where they think he would have been. And there's a lot of cliffs here, uh, hmm. like the, the headland just near Cozy Corner, which we mentioned. So after they finally figured all this stuff out, they've got the, um, they've got the route that he followed. They've... There is a startling map here, Dad, with a red and a blue line. The blue line is the route that he could have taken to the hostel. The red one is, I mean, hmm. one of the big questions here is why? I mean, let's set aside yeah. the administrative fuck-ups. Like, why would he do that? Why would he head there? If I was the parents, I would be going, yeah, maybe somebody led him there, but God knows what the human brain needs to do to cope. Anyway, so what I'm curious about now is after they've done experiments, like I think it was a detective on the scene who hmm. took a whole bunch of phones walked the route which you already pointed out was incredibly scary and creepy at night mm, and he had mm. phones and he was shooting messages off on all the different services uh, during the process to try and figure things out and the conclusions they came to right um 
walk us through the possibilities of what in detail of what you th- like what has been stated could have happened they, they used mm. drones to search they did big sweeps they did land sea Look, air They're paul paul do you recall we spoke about in the last four parter in western australia where they used the helicopters with heat seeking devices yes remember that at night time where they can pick up the the police did not ask um, for that assistance which in hindsight everything about this operation was done way way too late also uh the a lot of amazing work was done by the community who rallied around the parents and the volunteers who got really amazing thank yous from the parents who basically said we they literally said we would not have gotten through this were it not for the community and the volunteering right agree so, agree agree uh, on the 7th of, on the 7th of july right the police had stopped searching and the community volunteers kept looking and they are the ones who found theo's hat I know, so, which is embarrassing for the police. There was a point on the trail where he kind of went off the track, and I believe just before he exited the woods, they find his hat. So it's the hat that's visible in all the CCTV footage. They know it's his, and they do DNA testing, and they find a hair or two of his, do the testing, and they figure out that it did, in fact, belong to him. The fact that volunteers <laughs> found it, absolutely incredible. They find uh, a phone that is the same brand as his, mm. uh, at Cozy Corner, which is where his phone, yeah. I think, stopped transmitting. Mm. Um, I, the the it, phone comes back online yeah. around about 6 a.m. Uh-huh. And, but that, look, that's a little bit of a mystery. But, Paul, with all the facts and all the sadness and taking into consideration the terrain... The available information we have. What is your opinion as to what happened to Theo? There's basically two possibilities here, as far as I'm concerned. First of all, the case is still open. I believe, uh, as of 22nd of February 2022, um, a $500,000 reward mm, for anyone who provides information that leads to the discovery of his whereabouts or. Um, discloses the circumstances of his disappearance is offered. So yeah. that's, I mean, that's interesting. But um, two options as far as I'm concerned. One, somebody led him to his demise and killed him. Although if you're with somebody, why are you on your phone? Uh, that's, Good I mean, point. God knows. Right. Uh, right. Good point. The, sec- the second point is uh, it is possible that he, um, maybe he got, like had a weird social interaction. Maybe he was depressed. Maybe he was lonely. Maybe somebody had said you should check out this headland, and he was he'd had a few drinks and thought I'm just gonna go for a fucking walk. I'm 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 leaving Australia soon. I just want to kind of go for a bit of a walk and see the headland before I leave. Uh, it still seems a bit nuts to me that he would do that in that in those circumstances. Mm. In which case, uh, it seems odd to me, and it seems odd to Theo's family that somebody like him in the pitch black in the dead of night would uh, go climbing on the cliffs and fall to his death. Um, and if he did go climbing on the cliffs and fall to his death, how do they not find anything? I know it's five well, days that, later, that, but... No, that, that, that's, that part of your... That, that, in answer to that last small question of yours, Paul, that's yep. simple. That's called the tide. If he had have fallen onto the rocks and it was low tide, then when the tide came up, it would have taken him out to see he clearly had dropped his phone somewhere hence the signal coming back on but uh-huh. he may have been injured badly it's a remote place there's no point in screaming 
because no one's going to hear you, not 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 over the the waves, um, and other people over the years have drowned in that exact same spot and their bodies have never been found, ever. Generally speaking, when you drown, they do find your body, as we've discussed in numerous podcasts over the, the last five years. Mm-hmm. Not always the case. They have two... They have a police officer who was rescuing a boy. He was on duty. He went down. He, he drowned. They've never found his body. That was 10 years ago in Byron Bay. Same... Exactly the same stretch of water. It has a very, very strong permanent rip. You get in that, you're up shit creek without a paddle. So if he was unconscious or deceased and the tide has come up, again, this, is, this theory is based on the tides because if it was high tide and he didn't reach the water level, then no tide is going to pick him up and take him out to sea. So the tide would have to have been right. He would have to have been pretty close to where the tide can come up and, and, and basically take you. That's that's one theory. The, the idea, if he did have alcohol in his body, mm-hmm. and we can suppose he did have some alcohol, that does definitely give you Dutch courage. There's, there's no doubt about that. It does make you feel that you can do things. For example, uh, people that have been drinking and driving, they feel as though they can drive at least at their capabilities and often people feel as though they can drive beyond their capabilities hence they then come undone and end up side swiping 20 cars in a cul-de-sac on their way home things happen when you are intoxicated the drug situation has never been proved or disproved but we can't prove or disprove we don't have a body to then take and do toxicology so that's you know that's why they spoke to the friends I'm going to throw a, a small spanner in the works here. There is mention of him when he was unsteady on his feet. Yep. This is a very, very... Um, I don't know if it's such a crazy, crazy theory, but it's been something on my mind over the last week or so, Paul. And that is, of course, we don't have any... There's no, There's no record or... Is it possible that Theo had some possible early tumour or some pressure on the brain or some clogged, you know, vein? Or And he was slightly unsteady. And is it possible that there was actually some medical reason for what happened that night? And I'll say this, a very famous ABC presenter on Four Corners and the 7.30 report, Andrew Wally, he was living in Sydney and one day he called his wife and he was in Melbourne and he had no idea how he got there and he died shortly thereafter. Okay? These things can happen. And I don't know whether this theory has been, um, you know, Put out there but mm-hmm. imagine if there was some hidden um you know something wrong something i don't know some pressure some that had never been um you know discovered before and perhaps something happened that night and that's i think that's not 
to be discounted, and there's no mention of it in the coroner's um, report. Of course, the coroner can only go on past medical. Um, but things things happen, Paul. Um, yeah. And that's I, I think it that's could be worth. Um, but, but of course, we we we'll never know. I I don't suppose we'll ever know. Um, but that's that's a feeling that and he may have become unsteady on his feet. He may well have been at the top looking out at the beautiful, you know, the, the ocean, the tranquility and, and something. Look, I don't know. The theory that he met with foul play, um, yep. I'd actually rate that lower than my medical theory. So really? misadventure, the medical theory, and then meeting up with some something untoward. I just don't, I don't, I don't buy it. Um, but the, hey, you know, um, I'm sure the family, um, you know, they want to know, and they're going to, and it's a shit, it's a shit ending to a shit story because the parents will never get over it. It's, you don't get uh, over it. it's very difficult. I'm just going to read one more thing here from the coronial inquest. Tragically, despite the extensive investigation and inquest, the available evidence does not enable me to make a finding as to the cause of the manner of Theo's death. While his phone data provides valuable evidence about Theo's immediate movements and activity after leaving the Cheeky Monkeys bar, it is simply impossible to draw any firm inferences from the data about what may ultimately have happened to him. Broadly speaking, there are two competing theories. The first is that Theo met with a terrible accident while alone. He attempted to climb from Cozy Corner towards the lighthouse and was swept out to sea. The second is that he was with one or more others when he walked from the cricket nets to Cozy Corner and that person or those persons caused his death and disposed of his body. We will probably never know, but the family wants answers. So, like I said, there's a $500,000 reward. So I really hope it pulls out the truth. I really hope it works. I hope Theo's family gets some resolution on this. It's a t- it's deeply tragic. It was yeah. hamstrung by lockdowns and travel restrictions and all kinds of stuff. But our thoughts go out to Theo's family, honestly, because it's just it's a young, it's too young to die. It's just, it's so sad. Uh, And it was just so odd to me to watch, you know, administrative things kind of hamstring the police Mm. and also the police who are just used to not having the power to do certain things, watching volunteers rally together and do incredible work. It's an amazing story and it's so sad and it's so recent. It's so fresh. So that was our uh, look at the death of Theo Jean Hayes, a Belgian backpacker who uh, disappeared in 2019 in Byron Bay. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to this episode of Loose Units to Shadow Files. Uh, Dad and I really do value your company every week, and we're so happy to have you all here. If you want to get in touch, head across to Facebook and get on our discussion page, have a chat there. But in the meantime, Dad and I are going to go and recoup, have a bit of a sit down, and we hope you do the same. And we will see you at the tail end of this week for Loose Ends. So have a good one, and we'll see you then. Bye, everyone. Cheerio. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? 
Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.